Yeah, but it's worth it. Okay. All right. So, welcome back to me. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I said we're going to start doing piece by piece, which we are. Um, we're going to start doing what? We're going to do a section by section, kind of looking at the phrases in the bracha um, and focusing more on the specific words that are being used, which is true, although I did find that since the theme runs through, I mean, it runs, uh, it's always the case. We had the same thing with the first one. Right. Even going in order, we were kind of jumping around or looking at it globally. So that's kind of what it's going to be again, really. Um, a little bit of both, but, but officially that's what we're doing. Okay. So, Abu Darham gives us some of the quotes. He says, Atagi Borle Olam Hashem, you are mighty to the world, <laughs> Hashem. Um, and he attributes it. Actually, let me grab. Based on where does that phrase come from? It's always going to be coming from some other source. Wow. Unbelievable. Okay. <laughs> oh, here's another one. It must have been somehow in the shelf. Okay. It's really funny. Um, that is based on a verse in Yeshaya Membez Yud Gimel Hashem Kegibor Yetze. So I just thought, let me quickly look it up. That was not part of what I prepared up. Hello. Okay, so here's the verse. Hashem Kagibor Yetze. Oh, I put the punctuation wrong down there. Okay. God shall go forth as a powerful warrior, as a, like a battle warrior, he will arouse his zeal. He will, Yariah is like a trumpet. He will, he will cry out, he will shout loudly, and he will overpower his enemies which Rav Schwab describes as, at the time of the final Geula, Hashem will assert his right of ownership over all of creation as Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Now that's interesting, because Kone Shamayim Va'aretz was Kone HaKol right. in the previous bracha. Mm -hmm. The creator and owner of all that is in heaven and earth. Those assertion rights preclude recognition or worship of any deity or representations thereof other than HaKadosh Baruch himself. Okay, which means that in other words, throughout history, we mostly have not seen Hashem asserting his rights, so to speak. Through most of history, people have engaged in idol worship, all kinds of aberrant religious behaviors, and God has allowed some of these people to prosper, at least temporarily, and become powerful and to harm the Jewish people and to harm the world. And during all this time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu restrained himself, so to speak, and did not show out into the world 
his displeasure, that this is against his will. But at the time that's being described in this nevuah, which is an end of day's time, that restraint will be loosened. And Hashem will once and for all assert his rights as the one and only creator of the universe. He'll break his silence. Okay. okay. Make a little flag for that one. Um, and all right, so I think the simple translation into what we're learning over here about Atagibor Hashem is Gibor. So we would say, well, if I want to know what Gibor is, I know Ezehu Gibor HaKovesh Yitzro, who is mighty warrior, the one who conquers his Yetzer. So that would mean, that would mean that just like someone can hold back what he is inclined to do, and we would call that Gevura, Hashem can hold back his inclination, so to speak, for justice and for things to be the way they should be, and he can be patient with it, and he can wait until the time of the geula. But then he will show what, in fact, has been there all along. So that is one type. I would say that's almost like the pshat in the gvura. All right. It's a little bit tricky as a comparison because we wouldn't say, when we say hakovish as yitzro, that a person restrains his yitzer, we're talking about something that's more basic and physicalized side of us. We're not talking about a higher level of ourselves. Um, and the idea of justice sort of waiting to be fulfilled, giving time, um, doesn't, is not really, strictly speaking, comparable to a person holding back his anger about something, even if it's justified. So in that sense, although I think in one way it's the pshat, in another way I feel like it's not really quite the pshat. Um, but I think that what we're going to learn now helps us to understand actually this atogibor le'olam, and olam of course means over time and over space, the world, the universe. So Hashem is the gibor le'olam, and that that plays out, perhaps surprisingly, because when we think of Gavura, we're thinking of a show of God's might, which is what's expressed over here. Mm -hmm. But what's implied is the fact that he is not showing his might until then. Mm -hmm. It's both. It's the show of might, and it's also the patience before the show of might. So to look at this, well, let me come, let me come back to the Abu Dhabi before we before we start diving in. The Amar Bitchilas Brachazo, and it says at the very beginning of this bracha, Lashan Gevura, a terminology of Gevura of might. Shekol Ela Shemaskir Bevrachazo Hem Bevura. 
Everything that is mentioned here, this is part of the praise section of Shmona Esri, praising Hashem. All the praises that are mentioned here are all, are all chasodim that Hashem does, brachos that Hashem gives with gevura, as we will explain. So there are many gifts Hashem gives to the world, infinite number, more or less. Um, but this is particularly an expression of gifts and brachos that Hashem gives us through gevura, with might. And this bracha also mentions three times about some say four times. Some of it may connect to the fact that um, the Gemara says that there are three keys which Hashem does not share with people. Three things which he controls directly. There's no malach, you know, kind of involved and there's no... I don't, I'm not sure there's no malach involved, I'm wrong. but Hashem will always be the one to initiate, and he doesn't give people control over it. And in Eretz Yisrael, they used to say also a fourth thing. So it's possible that that's why it's three but four, and then we said it's three but four, but it's five, so I really don't know. Okay. Okay. So... Abu Darham says the third, the second one. What is he gives a correspondence to three terms of mechaye hamesim, atagi bor leolam Hashem mechaye mesimata, you revive the dead. So he says the three correspond as follows. The first one is referring to during in life, when a person goes to sleep, it's a little bit like he's dead. And while he is sleeping, Hashem is raising up dew and he's blowing wind and moving clouds in order to develop the food that will grow for the person. He is re-energizing him inside and outside. When a person is sleeping, Hashem is filling him back up inside and outside and he wakes up, Hashem returns his neshama to him, and this is a kind of tchiyas hamesim. And that connects to the fact of mashiv haruach umorid hagoshem. God um, blows the wind and brings the rain, which also could be read as he restores the spirit and brings down the rain. Okay, that there's these different elements that are being rejuvenated. Okay. The second instance of tchiyas hamesim is referring to Yeridas HaGeshamim, rainfall, which is an interesting correlation. He's saying it's the rainfall itself. That's the second expression that, course, that the word Tchiyas applies to. It's easier to see how Tchiyas applies to sleeping than to see how Tchiyas would apply to rainfall. Right? So he says, how, what would be an example, a reference that would support that reading? As it says in Pirka Kama of Tainus, the first parak of Tainus, Amar Rabbi Abahu, Rabbi Abahu said, Godal yom hagishamim yoser mitchias hamesim. A day of rain is even greater than a day of tchias hamesim. That's going to be our topic today. <laughs> okay. De ilu tchias hamesim latzadikim. Why, says Rabbi Abahu? On what basis do I claim that a rainy day is even greater than Tchiyas HaMesim, because a rainy day is Tchiyas HaMesim, oh, sorry, Tchiyas HaMesim is only for Tzadikim, not for Rishayim, 
And rain is for tzaddikim and rishayim. I skipped a, a, another proof for the proof. Okay. And the third case of Baruch HaTashem Echai HaMesim is referring to the revival of the dead at the end of time. That's the Iker Tchias HaMesim and all the other Tchias HaMesims leading up to that are all really, I was going to say foreshadowings of the final Tchias HaMesim or perhaps we might say the seeds of it. So the, you know, the early sprouts of it, but it will be full blown later on. Okay. Rav Berkowitz defines Givura. Ata gibor le'olam Hashem. You are mighty for the world in time and space, Hashem. That Givura, he says, it doesn't mean might. It doesn't mean strength directly. It means God's ability to enforce that all will conform to his will. That's interesting. Especially in the context of the patients. God's gevura is that he can shape everything so that it will conform to his will. He did not go into greater depth on that. I would have been fascinated, or I didn't understand how he did. All right. Okay. So now, I want to dive in a little bit more to this idea of the rain and the rain as a as a case of Tzachias HaMesim. This is obviously fundamental because this is where we first mention rain in our davening, and we know that that's a key thing because we learned several times and from a long time ago that God did not cause rain to fall until there was man to pray for it. So this is really important when we're coming to daven for rain. We're going to look at that more closely again. And Rabbi Abahu's surprising statement that the day of rain is greater than the Tchiyas HaMesim, meaning that it is a Tchiyas HaMesim and it's greater than the Tchiyas HaMesim, that seems puzzling. Okay. So we're, but we'll build up to it a little bit. <laughs> so Rabbi Lef says, Mechal kel chayim bechesed. Hashem sustains, lechalkel is like to provide kalkala, which we would say is like parnasa the food you need. He sustains life with chesed. So there's almost a contrast over here. First of all, and I think we asked this question before, although I don't remember that we answered it. What is chesed doing here at all? Chesed was the first bracha. Now we're in the gvura bracha. So why is the chesed over here? And by the way, why is the rachamim over here? Rachamim should be the next bracha. And chesed should be the prior bracha, so why are they cropping up over here? Okay. So there's a contrast that's being made. Mechal kelchaim bechesed, mechayemesim berachamim rabim. Hashem sustains the world with chesed. And that was our starting point, and we know that in our starting point is really the whole story. That was always and all along that Hashem creates and sustains the world with chesed. Period. That's really the whole story. But then it's, well, how, in what way, if we want to look at it more closely, how will we see it playing out? How will we see the chesed being delivered? So the fact that he sustains life, that's chesed in the sense that there's no, there's no boundaries to it. It's not dependent on the person receiving it 
or the creature receiving it. God provides for food for the birds, whether they deserve it or not. He provides food for people, more or less, whether they deserve it or not. Essentially, that's chesed. He provides. And the, the hope is that people will use the nourishment to sustain, that sustains their life and use that life for what is good. The rachamim is the revival of the dead. In other words, it's a new giving of life. The first, mechal kel chayim bechesed, is your first phase of life. Mechayim mesim is coming back to life, and it's a coming back to life that is more perfect. Um, I just, where is it? Because I just stuck it in here. Oh, there. Okay. He quotes Rabbi Moshe Cordovero. Trias HaMesim itself is a great mercy to the soul. In its spiritual abode, following this temporal life, the soul is incomplete and wants to be reunited with the body. So our self is our body and our soul. And even though our soul is what lives on forever, it's missing something without its body. It may be a minor thing, but it was the hat that it liked. It doesn't have it. So there's something missing. So the souls in Gan Eden are also longing for Trias HaMesim, at least as much as we are. And when that Trias HaMesim occurs, Hashem will bring the body back fully clothed and healed of all infirmities and handicaps that it had in its first earthly existence. So there's a perfection that comes only later, and that perfection is part of the next life, an olam habodika life, which makes sense because it's got a perfection to it that this life doesn't have. And it's a function of rachamim, not chesed. Rachamim, we've learned, is where there is an interaction of, din, of chesed and din working together. That creates a new reality of rachamim, or of emes. We've said like different, right? Tiferes. Um, and that then does depend to some extent on being deserved at least a little bit. We wouldn't think we could deserve it entirely, and that's true. But there has to be some degree of having made an effort to do God's will in this life for there to be a revival in the next life. Okay? That's something that Rav Abahu hinted to. He said, in this, this world, like the rain, that serves for tzaddikim and rishayim, but tchiyas hamesim, that's only for tzaddikim. Now, that doesn't mean it's only for, you know, when we say tzaddikim, we mean the, only the most righteous people that we couldn't aspire to be. I don't think that that's what it means over here. A tzaddik is a righteous person. Are we tzaddikim in the colloquial sense? That's, that's a hard one to judge ourselves, right? But it's entirely possible that we're tzaddikim in the sense of being able to, to hope for tzchiyas amesim. To hope for tzchiyas amesim, Tzadikim, is a, you have to be good. <laughs> okay? So Rabbi Lev says is that 
Mechal Kachayim V'Chesed is unearned. It's given with the hope that we'll use the gift to earn eternal life. But resurrection of the dead is Rachamim Rabim. It's with great mercy. But it's not totally a gift. It has to be deserved at least minimally. Now, the Rachamim aspect of resurrection of the dead, which is funny because it's Gvura, right? The resurrection is the Gvura. But now the Gvura is as a result of Chesed. We'll talk about that more as we go on. So the Gvura, as a result of Chesed, it creates a state of Rachamim. That the, he, I think he's quoting Rav Avigdor Miller, that knowing that there will be Trias HaMesim, which is perfected and eternal life, is a tremendous chesed. It's a gvura, Trias HaMesim is a function of gvura, and yet it's a chesed. What's the chesed of knowing about Trias HaMesim? The chesed is that on the one hand, we have death in this life, and we learned once in the Sfarno, one Shabbashir, we learned that the Sfarno said that one of the purposes of death was in order that we should recognize that life is limited and therefore we better use it. If we thought we would live forever, we would sit around a lot and waste a lot of time. It gives us a deadline. So we feel motivated to use it. The knowledge that there will be resurrection followed by eternal life is a great kindness. It makes our limited current life more enjoyable. It takes away the fear of death and self-negation that would be the end without resurrection. In fact, we know that there's another life to follow. It, it makes a comfort. It's not so scary. He says that's why the word mechalkel, mechalkel chayim bechesed, is kol and kol, mechalkel. It's the word kol twice. This is a good one because you could see it in the word, so then when you're davening, that one can jump out as a reminder. It's... Hashem provides kol, everything, everything we need in this world and the next world. Everything we possibly need as perfectly, it's kol, it's all. And you know the word kol, we've had this before, the word kol is always means the good and the bad together forming the good. That's what Yara Elohim is. Kol asher asa, God saw everything that he had made and that included the Yetzirah, and the Malachamavis and death, all of it rolled together, created a good that was even better than the good that was before. Okay. So now, there, I, the, really the questions that I raised before, you could have raised again in what I just said. <laughs> We're still left with a lot of the same questions, which is that question about the rain, why is rain Trias HaMesim, and why... If the ultimate Trias HaMesim is at the end of the bracha, not the middle where the rain is, then why would Rabbi Abahu come and say that this is even better, that the rain is better? And it still seems like a somewhat odd comparison that a day of rain is even better than a day of Trias HaMesim. It seems like an odd comparison. Basi, you could come in the front door. <laughs> I don't know if she heard me. Okay. All right, so the obvious place to start looking at this, of course, is to go back to Bereshus, to where we talked about the rain. And starting, of course, with the second chapter in Bereshus. So the first chapter in Bereshus describes, in brief, the creation of the entire world. The second chapter starts like this. Eile soldos hashamayim v'ha'aretz behibar'am. I'm just going to pull out Chumashim in case you want to follow along because 
So this is Bracious. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's Parak Bay's Pasuk Dalit. Okay, I can't explain. Okay. Okay, so this is what we would say is Shani. It's the second Aliyah. Toldos means generations. It's related to the word like a valad, like a yeled, child. Okay, so toldos would be the children, the generations, that which came out of, the derivations. Eile toldos hashamayim v'ha'aretz, of the heavens and the earth. Behibaram, and you see the small hay there. In behibaram, when he, in their creation, in his creation of them. Biyom asos Hashem Elokim Eretz Vishamayim. In the day that God made, so there's that asiya, this is the final making, the completion of the making. When God, and the name for Hashem used over here is Hashem Elokim, which is Hashem, which is the Midas Harachanim, and Elokim, which is the Midas Adin, or Chesed and Din, Eretz Vishamayim, when he made the heavens and the earth. This is, by the way, the first use of that name, Hashem Elokim. Until now, it's been Elohim. So you already know that something's changing over here in terms of God's interaction with us. V'cholsiyach hasodeh, and all of the vegetation of the fields, terem yihyeh va'aretz, was not yet on the land. V'chol esev hasodeh, and all the grass of the fields, terem yitzmach, had not yet sprouted. A siach would be like, more like the bushes and the trees. It's the foliage, and the, and the grass also had not yet sprouted. Kilohim tir Hashem Elokim al haaretz, because God had not rained down. Hashem Elokim had not yet caused rain to fall upon the land. The Adam ayin, and man was not, was not yet man. La avodes adama to work the land. The aid yaale min haaretz, and mist rose up from the land. Vehishka es kolpneha adama to provide moisture all across the face of the earth. Vayitzer Hashem Elokim es haadam, and God formed the person, the man, afar min haadama, of dust of the earth. Vayipach beapav nishmas chaim, and he blew into his nostrils a living soul. Vayhi haadam lenefesh chaya, and the man became a living creature. And God planted, Hashem Elohim planted a garden in Eden, let's say to the east, or it could be the original place, and he placed there the person who he had formed. So I'm not going to go in order with the Rashis, because one of them we've seen before, and that's where I want to start, and then like sort of take you along with me. Actually, do we want to do them in order? Let's not do them in order. We should really learn them in order, but I'm going to take you through the order I came to them. Okay, so I started with the Rashi on Pasuk Hay. And I'm going to go partway through it. What I'll do is I'll run through it really quickly without translating, because this is first going to be the grammatical statement, but I want to get to the lesson that we took. Kol terem mikra lashon ad lo hu. Ve'eno lashon kodem, ve'eno nifal, lomar hitrim, kasher yeomer hikdim. Ve'ze mochiach. Ve'od acher, shmoz tes, kiterem tiraun, adayin lo tiraun. Ve'af ze tiparish adayin. 
Okay, all that say you should define this word as not yet. It had not yet. Lo haya ba'aretz, it was not yet on the land, kishinigmara briasa olam, when the world was finished being created, bashishi, on the sixth day, kodem shenever adam, before man was created. The chol esev hasadeh, adayin lo tzamach, all of the grass in the fields was not yet sprouted. Um, Okay, and the Gemara tells us, Vatotse, uh, what about the fact that earlier the verse says it came out, that God created, the, told the vegetation to sprout, and it, and it came out. It says, Vatotse, it was going to bring out, not that it actually came out. <coughs> it was standing still, uh, Amdu doesn't mean standing, really. It means, like, still. It was, it was not making progress at the entrance, at the doorway of the earth. So it's sort of at the edge, ready to peek up over the top, but not, not getting there. Ad yom vav until the sixth day. Velama, and why not? Ki lo tir, because Hashem had not caused rain to fall. Umatam lohim tir, and what is the reason that God did not cause rain to fall? Lefisha adam ayin, because there was no man laavod es haadama to work the land. The ein makir. What's the implication of that? So now he has just walked us through the pasuk. He says, "Why does it matter? What kind of reason is it that there wasn't a person to work the land?" The ein makir betovasan shel geshamim. Without man, there is nobody to recognize the goodness of the rains. And once man comes along and he knows that there is a need in the world, he prayed for the rains. And they came down. And the trees and the grasses grew. Okay, so... We know this Rashi from before, or at least we thought we did. But then, if we go on, it's Hashem Elohim, and then the Rashi on Pasuk Vav. A mist rose up from the land. Now, this surprised me. I should have known this Rashi, and yet it surprised me anyway. Le'inyan briyaso shal adam. Why is the mist rising up? Okay, I always understood, and not, not strictly incorrectly, okay, there's other sources that certainly interpret it that way. Why is, what is the Torah telling me about the mist coming up and moisturizing the land? What it's telling me is how the vegetation stayed alive even though it wasn't growing. Until man came around and daven for the rain, right? There was mist, and that gave enough moisture so that all these, all these living seeds, right? We talked about that at a different time, how the creation of the plants is also the creation of the genetic material. The idea of there being seeds that carry DNA that will develop and get passed on generation after generation, as opposed to, let's say, rocks or mountains or streams or rivers where it's the same. I mean, they just keep on going, but they don't produce more of themselves. Passing on genetic material, that was 
a function of vegetation where that started. And therefore, it would have died if there hadn't been some sprinkler system going. Okay, all right. But that's not what Rashi says. Rashi says, why is, there, why is the Torah telling us a mist came up from the land and wet the face of the earth? It's telling us about the creation of man. Because that's what it continues into, and God formed the man of the dust of the earth. In other words, what's being described here is not the watering system for the plants. What's being described here is the creation of man. That God caused clouds, caused water from the earth to rise up into mist and steam, which wet the earth so that man became created out of a, a dough. So, you know, kids make mud pies. You mix water and you mix the dirt and you get mud and you can make stuff out of it. And that God wet the earth with this mist, and from this he formed the dough, so to speak, the, the physical formation of man from dust of the earth. Okay, what that actually means, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's like two parts to the recipe. <laughs> yeah, two ingredients over here, three ingredients, right? There's right. dust, there's and water, and then the he blows in the soul, and we're all set. Yeah. Okay, so that, but that is a very fundamental difference, in a, even if I don't understand what that means of man being created from dirt and, and water, that totally reorganized that pasuk, because instead of that pasuk being a comment on the previous verse, it's actually a comment forward. It's the beginning of the next verse process of the creation of man. So that by itself is an important piece of truth. Okay. Um, sorry, just figuring out the order. This verse, well, let, me, let me read you the Ibn Ezra. You won't have that in those Chumashim, I don't think. Ibn Ezra, ve'ed, a mist. He says sort of like smoke in the sense that it puffy, you know, airborne particles. Okay, Why? Ki Allah aid hatam, the reason ki Allah aid min ha'aretz, bekoach hameoros. This is powered by the great lights. The sun, the moon, the stars. Probably, I assume mostly the sun. It's interesting that he attributes, he lumps in all of the meoros there. Vehishka ha'adoma, to wet the ground, vehitzmicha, and to cause it to be able to the things on it to grow. And the Sephorno says, on the day, now he's, he, what he's doing is he's saying, what is all this, ha what is happening here? <laughs> because this whole passage opens with, Eile toldos hashamayim v'ha'aretz behibaram. This is the unfolding of the creation of the heavens and the earth on the day that they were created. So in other words... Folding, where Toldos is often translated as descendants. Yeah, well, that's what it means. Descendants right. meaning so descendants you, you have an initiating point, and then it 
comes out stage by stage by stage, I guess. Mm -hmm. but, but it's a strange thing. I mean, you can't, it's difficult to translate as descendants when you say Shemaim Arts. Although it's possible that that's really what Ibn Ezra is saying. I don't know. Could be that's what Ibn Ezra is saying about having the, the Meoros in the heavens, in the physical heavens, not the spiritual heavens, mm -hmm. right? And have them interacting with the earth and bringing up the steam. So then you have Toldos Shemaim Arts. You have generations. You have an actual birth happening there between the heavens and the earth. It could be that that's Ibn Ezra's intention. I don't know. Okay. So the Sephorno explains it like this. What is the day that they were created? The day of Asos, of Asiya, that would be like the finalization, right? The final stage of creation is when they were all put into their Seder Matmid, into their regular order that they're going to be day after day after day. So until, until the end of creation, there were a lot of things that started one way and then, I, I don't like to use the word evolved in this context because it's too loaded, right? But Hashem created something and sp set it spinning down a path, okay? Once it gets onto its path that it will continue on, that would be when it got to Yom Asos Hashem, the day God made it that way. So there may have, that there was in the beginning times, I mean, which is described right here, God created vegetation, and yet he did not sprout it. I mean, so it's clear that there's a process within each level of creation where it is initiated and not yet in the way it's going to continue. All right. At that time, Allah aid min ha'aretz, a mist came up from the earth, shahayatal livracha. This mist was a tal livracha, a dew of blessing. Shehirva es ha'aretz, that saturated the land. Veholida, and gave birth to, so Svarno's there saying it straight out, right, about the toldos. Veholida, vehitzmicha, it gave birth and it caused to grow. Bilti matar, without any rain, va'avodas adama, or work of the land. Now that is a very interesting comment. <laughs> that there's a stage here, the Eid Yala Min Ha'aretz, where the earth is being watered without rain and without work of the land. Okay, now clearly he's referring back to the verse before that. That, well, this is the mist, and he's saying that this mist is referring back to the previous verse, which said God had not caused rain and man was not working the land. I think there's probably many, many drushes that we could give on his way of having referred us back to that verse. Okay, because it's very different from Rashi. Rashi is giving it as a single line of reasoning. He is reading this verse to say that there's one point. The point is the vegetation didn't sprout. And now I'm going to give you the line that got to you, that got you to the point where vegetation didn't sprout. How did we get to vegetation didn't sprout? Because there was no rain. Why was there no rain? Because there was no man. Why was there no man, Rashi says. Okay, he doesn't say. There was man because he wasn't created. Right. Why do you need man? In order that he will 
work the land. In other words, he will recognize that there is a need and ask for it. That's not what the Sforno did. The Sforno says, all of this had not sprouted because two things were not happening. There was no rain and there were no people, meaning those would be... This is a drush I didn't prepare, but it seems clear that what Sforno is saying is there are two things that go into growth and development. One is Himtir Hashem Elohim. One is God raining down. And the other is Adam Lavo Des Adama, a person putting in effort. Right? Hashem sending success and a person putting in effort on the earth. You need those two things in order for there to be growth and development. Okay, that's also, by the way, a very nice drasha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if, if I look at this and I say, this verse about the mist rising up to water the land, it's kind of producing two effects. The mist is producing an effect of causing vegetation to grow, and the mist is producing an effect of creating man. Not that the mist is intentionally providing the act of creation, right? Hashem is providing the act of creation, but this is the means. This is the action that does it, mm-hmm. that, forms, that forms the physical body. First of all, what it gives us is yet another of, of a long line of references that suggest to us that man, Adam, is related to Adama. That in some sense, man is the fruit of the earth, even more than apples and pears are. And that the actions of people have a direct effect upon the earth itself. Okay? Um, So that makes it one reference like that. Okay. But there's yeah, something... Original climate change. Original climate change. Rain. Yeah. Well, it doesn't... I can't say that any of those references suggest that people cause climate change only cause earth change, ecological change. Um, yeah, but the prayer would cause the rain then. Yeah. That would be the, actually kind of the opposite of giving, attributing to people the, the ra- changes exactly. to the rain. Yeah. That would, that would be unfortunate for that argument. Um, there's a creation of rain, there were two things missing in Pasoke. There was no rain and there was no person. Two things were missing. The mist rising up seems to be the formation of both of those things. Right? The Ibn Ezra says that the mist rising up, that's what caused clouds to form. And then the clouds turn into rain. So you know, you have a water cycle, but it had to start somewhere. That's where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read it going farther down into the next verse, the formation of man, where the, this water is moistening the earth to be formed into the human body. So you have a simultaneous creation of people and rain, which would tell us, if we didn't already know it, that man's purpose involves working the land and rain, which is what Rashi, in fact, said. Taking this Rashi together with these other pieces of information, 
then what we recognize is that this is way before there's any sin. This is before there's even a commandment to not eat from the fruit of the tree. There aren't any trees yet. <laughs> okay. The trees are all still like sprouted acorns. Even before that, the purpose of man was to recognize need and then to take action through tefillah, asking Hashem to fulfill the need, and through action, through working the land, in order to seek to relieve the need. In other words, that is not a function of sin per se. It's not a punishment because of the sin in Gan Eden. It's actually how the world was created. <coughs> we touched on this before, the idea that there are hints to this earlier in creation. But this is almost explicit. Maybe it is explicit. Okay. So, now I'm going to start walking out on a limb. <laughs> I'm just telling you that up front. <laughs> Point just one. Up until now, this was not me out on a limb. Okay, okay this was all right here. This was other people maybe out on limbs, not me. So man's purpose at the very essence is to recognize, recognize a need. need and to work yeah. on fulfilling it. Or at least and to, to daven. Well, davening is avodashevalev. So it's la'avod es ha'adama, to do work for the land, but that can play out in different ways. The way Rashi plays it out is only, well, I don't know. He appears to play it out that the avoda is the davening. And we know, what is avod? Avoda is davening. Okay. But if you say, it, it's not a contradiction because he does include in here why had it not rained? Because there was no man to work the land and he, there was no one to recognize the goodness of the rain. Meaning it may be that the prayer is predicated on the fact that he's trying to get stuff out of the earth and realizes that there's something missing. The physical action, I, I don't know. I can't tell from the Rashi. Mm -hmm. It may be that the physical act of trying to farm or trying to harvest is what brings the person to recognize that there is a need and therefore he davens. So one avoda may lead to the other avoda. Because mm -hmm. that's one of the hardest things to do is to see what's not there, right? So you're recognizing a need is seeing something that, that isn't, isn't there. there. And that's really hard to do. That's really hard because we see what is there, except here's the thing. Do we see what is there? Sometimes we really only see what isn't there. I mean, that's where need comes in. Because you're right. How can you envision something if you know, don't see it? You have to see it. So you see what is there. But our life experience shows us that often what is there is what we exactly don't notice at all. We don't spend all of our time noticing that we're breathing. We don't spend all of our time noticing that we're awake. We don't spend all of our time noticing that our hearts are beating. It's just there. But we really, really notice it when it isn't there. So need, maybe need suggests that you know it, that you need it, and yet it isn't there. 
So there is, in some way, the fact that it isn't there is what causes you to notice it. Certainly for needs. For luxuries, maybe not. Good morning. Thank you. Okay. Which means it's getting late and I didn't get so far in here. All right. I want to point something out. Like I said, now I'm starting to go out on a limb. I hope it's a well-supported one. I don't think I'm making up from scratch. The real, the real question that I'm, that I'm saying over here, and I did not see anybody point out, is this. This verse, ve'ed ya'alem min ha'aretz, that means a, a mist will rise up in the future from the land. Okay, now it's true that very often in the Torah, you have a mix of past and present, but that usually will have something grammatical like a vav in front that reverses the tense. This doesn't have that. It really says a mist will rise up from the land. Okay, now w there are references. I mean, I know that, um, actually, I think Abu Darham quotes one of them here, that do is also known as something that revives because the dead will be revived with do. Right? I think we talked about this once years ago when we were talking about Yaakov and Esav and the bracha of the blessing of the do. The do is this very spiritualized concept of giving life. So a do will rise up from the land may be talking about the future. There's really nothing to preclude it. That's a different but thing. that's me saying that. No, ya'ale means it will rise up. No, but the mist and the do are different words. It's two words. We have mist and we have do. But we do have sources, do have sources, the Sephorno and others who describe this mist as a do. The do would be when it condenses into liquid on the plants. The mist is when it's still suspended in the air. Um, potentially today we'll get to the point of discussing the connection between that. All right. The state of dew watering the earth, the Sforno describes, is a situation where things grow without rain and without anyone working the land. That's a, that is kind of futuristic now that we think about that. I mean, once you notice that the verse is in the future tense, that's very futuristic. Because actually, actually, right? Like it didn't grow because God didn't provide water and man wasn't working it. So the world that we know now is a world where you got to put in work and hard labor and God, has, God sends rain. Rain is associated with right? rain which dissolves and breaks things down so that they can grow and softens the earth so that the things can push through it. So there's a, there's a simultaneous creation of man and earth. And there's a situation where it's kind of hinted to, I really think, okay, where we end over here and we say, Melech me God causes death and life, umatzmiach, and he sprouts salvation, Yeshua. It's a different kind of sprouting. Like there's, a, there's something, okay.
also, I want to come back to this question of Rabbi Abahu. Rabbi Abahu said, what's greater, Yom HaGeshamim? The day, he didn't say, he didn't ask the question, but he's clearly answering the question. Okay, he says, Gado Yom HaGeshamim, Yoser Mitzchiyas HaMesim. The day of rain is greater than the day of Tchiyas HaMesim. Okay, that seems like a strange statement, because who asked that? Like, why on earth were you comparing a rainy day to the revival of the dead in the first place? So I think until now, I assume because like rain, it like dissolves down the vegetation, like it melts things down and then things can grow. And that's kind of comparable to Tchiyas HaMesim when the dead will grow again sort of out of the earth. I'm, I'm not really sure what I thought about that. But let's say we take this as an answer. So what's the question? The question is, which is greater, Yom HaGeshamim or the day of Tchiyas HaMesim? The day of rain or the day of Tchiyas HaMesim? First That's what I day. think now. I don't know. I have, I told, I'm out on a limb here, okay? <laughs> but when I think of it in these terms, that's why I took you through it out of order, because it's like how I got here, just sort of blundering around, right? All of a sudden, I said, well, what's his question? And then I said, oh, maybe what he's saying is, which day is greater? Is it the day of Yom HaGeshamim, the day of the rains, that first day when Adam was created alert and realized there was a need for rain and asked for rain, or, right, the day that the mist created a person and created clouds for rain, or is the day of Trias HaMesim going to be greater when that mist will raise up a man who's perfected and there's no more need for Avodas HaAdama? When we'll wake up and look around and say there is no need. Which is greater? The birth of man recognizing need or the birth of man recognizing that God has taken care of everything and there is no need? Which is greater? I think that's really the question. Yeah, that puts a whole different light on it. It's a whole different light. And now I want to hear his answer. His answer is, the day of rains is greater. Why? Because it's for tzaddikim and rishaim, whereas the day of tzaddikim and is only for tzaddikim. Okay, I can start to now investigate that answer and get somewhere. Because until now, it was hard to get anywhere. Because what made it greater that it's for tzaddikim and rishayim? If anything, that almost sounds like it's less great. Something that's like equal opportunity and nobody had to work for it. And, and even the, like, that's the opposite of atagibor Hashem asserting his rights and saying, no, you, I created you. And how dare you turn against me and use my gifts against me? Right? That seems like the opposite. So then how would... Okay, so which is greater? Okay, so now I want to go back and look at his answer again. Which is greater? So now, if you want to follow along, you can look at the Rashi, the first Rashi in this section, which is on the Divrei HaMasril, Toldos HaShamayim V'Ha'aretz Behibaram B'Yom Asos Hashem. These are the generations, the... the the stages out of the heavens and the earth, Bahibaram, as they were created, Biyomasos Hashem, the day that God made them. Lila Medcha, to teach you Shekulam Nivra Ubarishon. Okay, that's an important point. It's just not the one we're talking about. Everything was created on the first day, and then it was a process of their creation as they emerged into their fully created states which is also an important point and indicative to us a little bit about what it means to be created as people. We're also 
created as a process and perhaps have not yet reached our fully created state. All right. Davar Acher. This is, this is where we're going to focus. Davar Acher, another explanation. Okay, now whenever Rashi has a Davar Acher, it's because you could not fully have answered your original question with the first answer. So you need to have something else to go along with it to create a full answer. But it's too late for us to start diving into what the Rashi's question was and how did it not answer. Okay. Behibaram. The word behibaram with that small hay is to cause you to read it as behibaram. With a hay, they were created. That's something we've come across before, usually with a different point to make. Shenemar, as it says, also in Yeshayahu, Chavav, Beko Hashem Tzur Olamim. That it is with Ka. Okay. The verse. <laughs> let's get like a quick translation. Yeshaya Chavav. Oh, I don't know if I'll find it so fast because I don't have a verse number here. Because Hashem Tzorolamim means it was with God, the creator, God, the creator of all worlds, I guess. Let's see if I can find like a, okay, here's the Pasuk. Bitchu Hashem, trust in God, Adei Ad, forever and ever. Ki Hashem Olamim, for in God, Hashem, who is in God, who is the creator of the universe, Tzur Olamim, is the rock of all eternity. He's the stable point that you can trust in. That's the basic translation of the verse. Okay. But Rashi says, based on Chazal, Beko Hashem Tzur Olamim, Bebez Osios Halalu, with these two words, two letters, Beko, with Yud He, Tzur Olamim, Hashem Tzur Olamim, God, Tzur, um, created, Yatsar. Not that he's the rock. That it, with the two letters, Yod and Hei, Tzur Olamim, God formed the universes, the worlds. Bebez Ozios Halalu Shel Hashem, with these two letters of his holy name, Yatsar Shnei Olamim, he created two worlds. Ulamed Chokan, and it teaches it to you here. Sheha Olam Hazet Nivra Behei. So there's two letters, Yud and He, that God created two worlds. Okay. The Yud is the spiritual world, and the He created the physical world. Ha'olam hazen nivra behe. This world was created with a He. Svar macherim, and in other versions. Remez, it's a hint. Kamo shehe psuchalamata, just like a He is open below. Kacha'olam pasuach lashovim. Also, the world is open for those who have fallen down below. In other words, if you fall out, it's open. You can climb back in to return. B'tshuva, with tshuva. The olam haba, and the next world, a lot of lice all going on. <coughs> and the next world, nivra b'yud, is created with a yud, lomar, to tell you, shetzadikim ba'osos man muatim. That tzaddikim at that time are small. Like Yud, which is the smallest of all letters. It's a very interesting statement. I just, it's so late, I feel bad. <laughs> I have some notes on that too. Okay, Remes Shiyardu Rishayim, or that is a hint that the Rishayim fall down below, whereas there is destruction, like this hay which is closed, and yet it is open both for them to fall down and to come back up. 
Okay. So first of all, this does shed a new kind of light on this introduction. Here's the way the world was created, heaven and earth. There's two parts. There's Tzadikim and there's Rishayim. There are people to populate this world, Tzadikim and Rishayim. And nothing had grown because the people weren't developed yet. And in the future, there'll come a time when the world will be reinvigorated with life, but only tzaddikim. And Rabbi Abahu said, which one's greater? <laughs> right? Rabbi Abahu, I mean, this, Rabbi Abahu is really saying, which one's greater? The day of the creation of the rains, which is the day that man was created to recognize there was a need, and man was created tzaddikim and rishayim. It all goes together. A world of need mm -hmm. and to pray for it. Or the day when man is created to realize there are no Rashaim and there's no need. Both. Somehow these are going together. It's somehow going together, right? It's not the result of the sin. <laughs> Obviously, a Russia is a Russia as a result of his sins, but because that's his choice. <laughs> People are not created to be Rashaim. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this somehow this aspect of the need. And how, is the creation with the rain. Okay. So what is this with the recognizing the good of the rains? And he'll know then that there, you recognize there's a good in rain. Now rain is apparently destructive. When you look at rain, what you see is destructiveness. It's only the outcome of the rain that is good. I happen to love rain, okay. But... Even I can accept the idea that if you would just see rain, then what you see is cloudiness. You see a hiding of light. You see something that is, it's uncomfortable. It makes people cold. You see something that tends to break things down. It can become a very powerful force of destruction. But even at its gentlest, it doesn't appear to produce anything useful at all only does damage you have nice seeds you forgot to bring it you know you didn't finish bringing in your harvest it'll be destroyed so what's visible is destruction it's only later that you can recognize that it was actually good which i think also is a beginning of understanding what it means to be born into a world where people could choose to be rashaim it's it's the same kind of contrast that there could be something that is apparently just like all bad mm -hmm. and not recognize it's part of the process. It might be necessary to this process. Okay, so the Gurarye, the Maharal's commentary on Rashi, he comments on, on several parts of this Rashi, not surprisingly. But let's look at this one. The Ein Makir Bitovaso. There was no man to work the land and therefore to recognize betovasan, sorry, that's, that's a typo. Betovasan, their good, the good of the rain. Klomar, what, is this, what does this mean? You're not supposed to do good for somebody who can't appreciate the good you do for them. That's a statement from the Gemara. It's not the Maharal inventing that. And that's one of these puzzling statements that makes a good separate share of its own. 
Okay. As long as there was no person, God did not cause rain. But then why is it specific to the rain? You say there was no man to appreciate the need for rain, that the rain is good. But why didn't the Torah say something like that about bears? That God did not yet cause the bears to emerge from their hibernation because there was no man who could appreciate the goodness of bears or of anything else for that matter. Why was anything created if it all depends on person being able to appreciate the good in it? Why just the rain? That's because everything else that was created in the world is an end unto itself. Meaning an orange is created and it's an orange. It is a fully created orange. And you could appreciate the good of it, but it's a fully created orange. We don't call that tova. That's interesting. I'm not sure. It sounds like he's also distinguishing between tova and tova. In modern Hebrew, a tova is a favor. They say someone, vakashat haseli tova, please do a favor for me. Okay. What's a tova? Lo yikra tova. Something is only called a tova. Rak only mashenosein la'acher that which is given to another. I th- he might be making a distinction in the Rashi that it's tovasan shel geshamim, not tuvan shel geshamim. Tuvan would be their goodness. Tovasan is their f- the favor of rain. Geshamim, like rain, hanivra'im. Rain is not a purpose in and of itself. It's not something created to be rain and contribute rain to the world. What rain is, is something that delivers blessing. It itself is a contribution to other things. There's a difference in how we could see rain versus how we could see everything else that's created. Now, really, everything that's created has something to contribute to other, other creations, right? Flowers also provide pollen for bees. But you don't need to, you, you don't have to see that. You can see the flowers, and they're, they're beautiful, and they serve some purpose of their own. They begin the flowering of the fruit. They're beautiful. They're, whatever it is that they do, they do. They attract. They serve the flower. They, I don't know. They're structural. Whatever it is they do, they do. Rain, when you look at it, whatever it is it does, it doesn't do anything. What rain is, is a tova. It is a contribution. And you needed the person to be able to see that. That is the factor that is dependent on man to see. That's why it doesn't describe this issue of not being a person to appreciate it about any other creation. It's about the rain specifically. God wants man to recognize that rain, which does not apparently look positive in and of itself, is pure gift. (coughs) Would you like a drink? Uh, I'll get I'll get you because we really should be finishing. So I have to just wrap up because it's so late. I'm so sorry. I was just thinking of the different parts of the country where I grew up in Illinois with lightning and thunder. Right. And we were told, don't go near a tree. Right. 
places that keep having floods, so that if there's too much rain. Thank you so much. I was telling them that I grew up in a part of it. a lot of rain. With thunder and lightning. And don't go near a tree. And yeah. I remember my mother coming out crying. I don't know where my children are. It's raining. Oh, don't go near a tree. Oh, gosh, yeah. But right, here, the lightning storms. We don't have gift, so much. You know? It's a gift. We have so much rain the, even. The tova, the t- right, because we don't have it, we recognize that it's good. The tova that Adam will see then in the rain is that it's a creation whose purpose is to give to others. Okay. Which is really, this whole passage is a creation of need, of chesaron, of things not quite being perfect yet. And tova, which is created to give to another and supply for the need. That is really the creation of man. I mean, it is, this is the creation of man. This is the creation of man. Man as a connection between heaven and earth. Man as a praying being of tefillah. Tefillah, which is praise, request, bakasha. Bakasha is this core that's so puzzling. Why should that be our communication with God, need? This is the creation of man is to recognize need. It's also the creation of man. You couldn't have man without that. Why? Man is a holech, a goer, one who is going. Now, we've heard this before, right? Malachim, stand. People, go. But we saw something this Shabbos, in this past Shabbos in Parshas Korach. We talked about it in the Shabbos year, and it, it just completely illuminates this. Which was, right, that people are not holy yet. And just so that they always work themselves indefatigably up to their holy calling, so that they do not mix up what they are with what they should be, do not imagine themselves already holy because they are hallowed to a holy calling, but that they should rather keep this holy calling of theirs always before them as the goal set by God for all their endeavors, Just for that, their holy calling was given a symbolic representation of its ideal realization in the sanctuary, enclosing the evidence of God. And just for that reason, nobody was allowed to consider himself worthy to approach without further ado. In other words, we have a Beis HaMikdash where we approach God with Avoda that represents our whole journey in the world. And it's a journey where you're always moving forward, but you can never quite get to perfection. No matter how far in you go, you can't go into the Holy of Holies. And one of the messages for us is from that, that I'm not perfect yet. Whatever I've gotten to, I'm not perfect yet. That's, that's a feature, not a bug, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> okay? That is a feature of being alive, is I'm not perfect yet. I have to keep going. I have to keep trying. I have to keep improving. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. That means I'm alive. Growth, tzemicha. Growth requires there to be need. Meaning, if you've already got perfection, there's nowhere to grow. When you get 100% on every test, there's no room for improvement. When you've reached your full height, you don't keep growing. 
When a person achieves perfection, that's the end of their life, not the beginning of their life. Life in this world, in Olam Hazeh, is life with a hole at the bottom. <coughs> you can fall out, but you can climb back up. That's what it's about. There was no growth because there were no people. Growth is what people are about. That is life in this world. And the dependent factor for having growth is imperfection, not having gotten there yet. What's greater, says Rabbi Abahu? The world where there are tzaddikim and rishayim, or the world where there's all tzaddikim and there is no need. And he says, the day of rain, the day of rains is even greater than the day of Trias HaMesim. This is, um, this is pretty much the concept of the place where a Balchuva stands is even higher than where someone who is perfectly righteous all along can stand. Okay, here it doesn't mean Bali Chuva, people who were not educated to Torah as children. That's not what it means. I mean, it doesn't contradict that, but that's not. Bali Chuva means people who have failed, who have done the wrong thing, who have done Averos, and repented of it and come back. That's what Rashi was talking about. That's even greater. Okay, so that's the proof of what Rabbi Abahu said. It is even greater to have stumbled and gotten back up. Brings us back around to Somech Noflim Asurim. This is the Gevura. This bracha of Gevura, of might, is a bracha of Hashem creating the world imperfect. With, it's perfectly imperfect. It's on purpose. It's part of the Chesed. It's the Chesed with Gevura, expressed through Gevura, through something that is held back through something that is achieved over a long, slow process, it's not all at once, this is even greater than the final act. But really, it's all one. It's all really moving from Yom HaGashamim to the Yom of Trias HaMesem. So we will finally stop over there. Um, and we'll, we'll, I have a little bit more on this next time, but that's okay. We'll do that the next time. Talk a little bit more about that. Sorry for running over time. I didn't want to drop it smack in the middle. Could you say it again? Pardon me? Would you mind saying that again? That uh, life on earth is better than Olam Haba, uh, even a few hours, because we have the ability to change. Once we're in Olam Haba, that's it. Yeah. There's no change. That sums it up. I didn't need to do the whole long class, really. <laughs> that really sums it up. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know I learned because this week. I thought, nobody's calling me back. No. And Yoel said, you know, you can change. You, uh, you, realize that, uh, that you realize what the other person is doing, and you have the ability to change. Look. That other person had his own problems. You have to realize that. And um, it helped me a lot. Oh, that's to be good. Able to say, well, you know, I had the phone number of of Joni, uh, of uh, Joni, uh, what's her last name? Ziff. Ziff, Joni Ziff. 
but I had the wrong number. I had the wrong the number of her school. Oh, oops! And the phone kept ringing, <laughs> and I never got her. Uh, now I talked to her. I have her right number. But oh, for good. weeks I was saying. Oh, how frustrating! <laughs> so we had we had the ability to see that we can change. It's amazing. And even at age ninety six. <laughs> Thank God. Keep changing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's so much into 